Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to the Edge of Comfort podcast, where we explore the adventures, perspectives, and philosophies of world travelers. I am your host, Lee Thornquist, and thank you for listening. What's up, people? How's everyone doing? I'm so excited and grateful to be able to share today's episode with everyone. Uh, On today's episode, we are joined by Sarah Attar. Sarah is a two-time Olympian and a professional runner with the Mammoth Track Club and On Running, uh, based in Mammoth Lakes, California. In 2012, at the Olympic Games in London, Sarah represented Saudi Arabia as one of their first-ever female Olympians. Also at this time, she had just finished her sophomore year of college. Since then, Sarah has continued pursuing her passion of running while sharing it with others and inspiring many people all around the globe. She ran in the Rio 2016 Olympics, uh, which completed her 10th marathon and is currently traveling for, or sorry, she's currently training to travel to Tokyo in 2020 for those Olympics. She also recently completed her 11th marathon this past October in the great city of Chicago. Other notable achievements include being featured on a Boston Marathon banner, as well as making the cover of Women's Running Magazine, uh, being highlighted as one of the 10 most powerful women in running. Not only is running a vehicle for inspiring others in Sarah's world, it's also a creative outlet. Sarah finds inspiration from the landscapes she runs through and utilizes this to fuel her art. Sarah experiences running as a moving meditation in many forms, and she loves tapping into this rhythm out on the roads and the trails. And luckily for all of us, We discuss the majority of these achievements and some of her philosophies, uh, whether it's on running or in life, um, in this conversation. We explore her experiences from both Olympic Games and how she dealt with her position as one of the first ever female Olympians from Saudi Arabia. Uh, We discuss her training details and philosophies and some nutrition aspects, uh, as well as how she got through a 90-mile training week. We also talk about why she chooses to run and train on the mountains and those trails around Mammoth Lake and how our world and our mind expands as we challenge ourselves and reach greater heights and push ourselves beyond what we we think we're capable of. And we also talk about some of her other projects, including an unplugged retreat in incredible natural settings all throughout the world. I know this is a pretty long episode, so use the show notes if you want to hop around to what you're most interested in, but I highly recommend sticking with us the whole time and listening to it all the way through because there's a lot, a lot of great stuff in here. Speaking of show notes, you can find them and links to some of the things we reference and how to contact Sarah at edgeofcomfort.com forward slash EOCP19. That's the number one nine. Also, if you've enjoyed the podcast, please consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts through the app or iTunes on your computer. 
I enjoy reading your feedback, and it also helps new people discover these wonderful conversations. Search for Edge of Comfort in podcasts, click on ratings and reviews, and then write a review. If you need a step-by-step guide on how to write a review and detailed pictures and all that jazz, go to edgeofcomfort.com forward slash podcast dash review. Make sure to stick around at the end for the question of the episode. And as always, if you want to say hello or just have any questions, reach out to me at lee.t at edgeofcomfort.com. Thank you so much to Sarah for opening up about her experiences and journey with running and her life story. Thank you for listening, and let's go. Good morning. What's all the commotion? Wow. Are banana fish big? Same, same, but different. If I can't scuba, then what's this all been about? Welcome to the Edge of Comfort podcast with your host, Lee Thornquist. Hello, everyone. Thank you for joining today, and thank you to our guest, Sarah. And I wanted—I actually should have asked this before. How do you pronounce your last name? Atar. Atar. Okay. I thought mm-hmm. it was, but I didn't want to butcher it right <laughs> off the gate. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so are you out in California currently still? Yeah, in Mammoth Lakes, California, and currently looking outside to a snowy, snowy storm happening. It's super fun. It's like first big one of energy happening around here. Okay, so you cut out a little bit, um, but it says kind of the first, oh, yeah. first big storm. Yeah, in Mammoth Lakes, California, and I'm like looking out my window towards our first, one of our first big snowstorms, so it's super fun. <laughs> yeah, Chicago got hit pretty bad a few days ago, but oh yeah, <laughs> can't, probably not like quite out there. Um, so yeah, I actually know. I think I first one of the, when I first like started to try to reach out to you, you were coming to Chicago to run in the marathon. Mm-hmm. And did that? Did you do that? Did that? How did that go? And what was that experience like? Yeah, so that was my second Chicago marathon and my 11th marathon. Um, it was, I hadn't done one for a while though, so it was kind of like um, getting to know that distance again a little bit. And in the past like two and a half years, I had like a few like minor injuries that set me off a little bit. So it's just good to like have a strong buildup, get to the race. I raced well and had a PR. Um, so it was an overall like super fun experience and there's always like something to be learned from the race and like, you know, takeaways to improve upon and all that. But it, it definitely, um, definitely was a good one and get to get to run there again. Both my recent PRs are from Chicago. So that's uh-huh. super fun. <laughs> Congrats. Yeah. It's a fast course. <laughs> it's so awesome. When you say it was your first marathon in a while, what is a while mm-hmm. to you? Um, two and a half years. Okay. That's a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good amount of time. And this was, I've done like before I started running, um, 
professionally with the Mammoth Track Club, I was doing kind of just like marathoning for fun. And I would do like the Boston, the Big Sur Challenge, which was two marathons in a week. Um, so I was kind of one of those people just kind of like doing them and like loving them and probably did like three to four a year. So to take that long of a break, um, was definitely a while, but I think was just really needed, um, at the time. Wow. Three to four marathons a year. Yeah. That's impressive. Um, I definitely will definitely bring that back up and talk about some of those, but before we do that, um, I mean, there's, there's so much I want to ask you. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's really, really cool just researching some of your history and your background. Yeah, there's and, a lot to read. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> and one of the first things I want to ask, though, because in a lot of your um, articles or interviews or Q&As with people, it really sounds like running is a lot more than just a physical activity and challenge to you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've seen articles where you've described it as meditative and a chance to connect with the world around you. Mm-hmm. Can you elaborate on this a little bit more? And this, I guess, would you call it like a spiritual side of running? Yeah, um, I guess you could call it. I don't know. There are so many ways we can call it. But this is truly where like running gets me like I could talk about it for hours and write about it and photograph it in this way, because it really is. Um, just like meditation, moving meditation, you know, um, I find a similar feeling in walking even, um, but running has always been kind of that first one that's, um, always spoken to me in that way, like creatively and, and spiritually, I guess, um, especially now that I live in, uh, the Eastern Sierra of California. I've fallen so madly in love with this place and running is like another way to just like get to know this landscape. Um, but yeah, I really find it to be like my favorite runs are when I'm deeper in nature and like either there's a storm happening or something's happening in the weather system. And you can kind of like pick up on all those like nuanced energy that you might miss just like throughout the regular day and then I just love how it really it always takes me somewhere I remember some of my first runs in high school when I joined the cross-country team I was so excited because we would go on these like little routes in near our neighborhood but they were these places that I never knew existed and they were like five minutes from where I grew up so it was cool like that's a very minor aspect of what now happens like more dramatically of running um, being very explorative and like just allowing us to learn so much more about the world around us, but also the internal world within us. So is, well, first off, when did you start like in your running career? You said you started in high school for cross country. When Mm -hmm. did it take this shape? When did it become suddenly a much more internal thing for you? Um, I think in college when I decided to train for a marathon was kind of when it became more um like deeply personal um and where I like was doing it um because I truly like loved it and loved where it took me um I went to school at Pepperdine in Malibu which is has like a beautiful beautiful state parks nearby and a ton of beautiful trails and like the coast to run on so it was like I think it was that time when I was training for my first marathon that it um, 
I would go, you know, you have like these long runs to, to do. And I would just kind of like leave from campus, but see all these beautiful places. And I like grew to like, those were like my favorite days of the week was when I could just run for hours from, from school. So this, this meditative state that you like get and the, the deep connection to the world around you, is that something you've experienced in other ways other than running or is like mm-hmm. running your go-to way and like, cause I've, I've heard, mm-hmm. you know, other people who have that feeling with other things, but I guess in your life, like, have you seen that play out in other areas? Yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest shifts was actually when I had an injury last summer. Um, so over a year ago now, but that fall I came back to mammoth and was starting to run again. And, um, I was hiking a lot though. And I used to like, kind of get antsy with the pace of hiking because I was so used to running and I would feel like I needed to go faster. Um, but in this case, I still still wasn't running. Um, and hiking and walking became like what I could do and the way to experience the world. So I definitely learned like it, um, it became a very um, also intimate, beautiful way to to experience the land and kind of get that same feeling. Um, and then I went on my first backpacking trip in the area and it was a five day trip. And I was like, um, on the men from the injury and like, it ended up being this like beautifully profound thing as well. Um, so it was really cool to be able to find that outside of running too. Um, and to find that maybe it's like, the landscapes that facilitate it more than the whatever I'm doing itself, you know? Yeah, so so it sounds like nature clearly has a very big role in this, at least, mm-hmm. whether you're running or backpacking. Totally. And so I know you do photography as well and some art mm-hmm. and writing. Is, like, is this something that's highly influenced by the nature and the landscapes you're seeing, or is this something that is more like a reflection of that? I guess. Um, yeah. Where's like the, um, I can't think of the word. What, what's the connection between what you're doing for running mm-hmm. and training and hiking with some of the other things you're passionate about, whether that's photography or writing? Mm-hmm. Or... Yeah, I think it really, I mean, it's all connected totally and it all influences each other. And, um, I really started sharing more of my writing and photography when I moved to Mammoth. And I think that was a way to like share these beautiful, intimate experiences and places that I, that I was around up here. Um, so I think as a means to like tell a story is how it initially started. And then I also just love documenting. Um, like I like to just write my down my thoughts a lot. And like, I take so many photos just like of daily things. And I think that's like, I'm very visual, so I think that's just how I like to uh, remember things is by, like, going back through my photos or it's almost like a visual um, journal, I guess. Um, So for documentation and sharing and then um, I guess reflection as well is kind of like, like, if I go out and have this, like, backpacking trip or run, that that feels very profound um, just to kind of, like, take down some of that and reflect on further reflect on what I felt while I was out there. 
Okay. So, are you carrying a camera when you're doing these runs? Because, I mean, some of the pictures I've seen, whether on your Instagram or your website or other articles, like, it looks like there's people running Mm -hmm. in them. So, are you literally carrying a camera or your phone when you're out there doing these runs through the mountains? Yeah. So, a lot of my mountain runs, especially the summer, um, like, I know you saw that, the Field Mag article I did recently, and that was about a lot of these um, big mountain runs I was doing this summer. And on those, I would take just my phone, and that was my camera, which I've kind of fallen in love with using that one as, like, my main camera just because it's very compact and fits in my trail running vest (laughs) pretty easily. Um, And then I I think it's, like, um, I don't know, there's, like, a little more flexibility with that, and I still love, love the photos I get. And then for like runs that are closer to town, sometimes I do return to a place um, to photograph it later. Um, That was also something that I find like very meditative is like, we'll do this like long run on this like loop and we pass by these beautiful places. And especially when, like I've mentioned, storms are coming in and out of the area. Um, I love seeing that. So when I'm at practice, I don't carry any documentation means with me. So I don't have my phone. I'm, you know, I'm just like with the team and we're at practice doing our thing. So in those situations, if we like pass by something that I was really inspired by, sometimes I'll drive back out there in the evening, um, to photograph it in like different light or, or whatnot. And then that also just becomes a fun way to, to reflect on training and I don't know, just like where we've been. Yeah. Is, so I want to hear some more about just your life out in this area of the world because mm-hmm. I didn't even realize that, like, when I first saw your pictures, I didn't even realize that that was in the U.S. Like, right, yeah. I feel so ignorant. I'm like, wow, that's not too far away from me. I could go drive yeah. there if I really wanted to. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I guess for for some background, so I think you've – have you lived out there over three years now? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you've lived out there over three years, and as you said in the beginning, you've done 11 marathons. When did, like, in your marathoning career, when did it start out? And that's not said right. When did you? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, just I when you what, moved I out I get what there. you're saying. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> um, so I moved out here. I graduated college in 2014, and... That was, I mean, there's the whole other side of the story of the Olympics that we haven't touched on yet. Yeah, Um, we'll we'll get into that. Don't worry. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that happened halfway through college. Um, And then, so after I graduated, I was kind of like, okay, well, am I gonna, we had two years until Rio. um, And I was like, okay, am I gonna like pursue that again? And is it maybe something that's going to happen? Do I want to train full time? I think at that point I'd done like five or maybe seven marathons. So I'd already done a decent amount just like on my own. Um, and then I moved back with my parents for a year-ish, kind of figuring out what the next step would be. And in that chunk of time, I actually like pursued 
like doing it ultras as well. I did a 50 K and really fell in love with that. Um, being out on the trails and running even longer. Um, but then I, I got an opportunity to come up to mammoth and it just like all fell into place and fit beautifully. And, um, so I moved up here in June of 2015, um, to kind of like gear up for running the marathon in the Rio Olympics. Okay. So you ran I, I, Olympics I want to get into, but I'm going to hold off for now. Mm-hmm. So how just has your routine and just your perspective and reflection on your running changed since you've made that shift to, mm-hmm. to moving out there and to make kind of making this more of a, I don't know, full-time thing is the correct phrasing, but more of a priority in your life. Yeah, it's definitely the, the main priority, um, which is really unique. And I'm very grateful that I'm able to do that. I'm still pairing it with like part-time jobs in town and stuff. Um, which is also just a fun way to connect with the town itself. But, um, there's been like so much learning, just one moving to a new place always has a lot of learning, but then also to be able to dive really into something that I already loved and, and learn from those around me. Um, like my coach is really amazing. Um, his wife is also my teammate and she is also the American record holder in the marathon, Dina Castor. Um, and my coach is Andrew Castor, but, um, so they're just like have a wealth of knowledge and experience and wisdom. Um, and they're some of the nicest people I've ever met. So just to even be around a very elite group of athletes, um, is such a, such an incredible opportunity and there's so much to learn. And, I also just realized that there's just always going to be stuff to learn about running and how it's always a very um, like reflective process on our bodies as well. And, um, you know, kind of the emphasis on, on body work, like massage and chiropractic work and acupuncture and learning all these different modes of, of wellness has been really fascinating for me. Um, It's, it's really fun. I think it's a really special thing to be able to, to get to know like what we're capable of in such an intimate way. And then also in a place that I love, it's, it's a lot of, a lot of good things happening. Yeah. It's amazing how, even if you've been doing this for how, you know, 11 marathons two Olympics and Mm -hmm. since high school, and you still feel like you have so much to learn and to totally. And And that, yeah. And that like, we are always evolving as well. Like, I feel like that chunk of time of two and a half years in between my races, um, there was kind of like a lot of like unraveling of certain maybe imbalances that were in my body and kind of learning how to, how to just be stronger. And then we're like, we get to the other side of those things and we're better for it. And we can like, I always, always evolve. And, um, it's so fascinating. (laughs) Yeah. So that like, what's, what's your mindset at this point? You know, you've already done so many great things. I'm sure you have a lot that you still want to do. And, you know, you're probably much more knowledgeable and experienced than most people in the world in this field. So what's like, what's your mindset at this point, whether for your personal growth or trying to help others, like 
I guess, where are you Mm -hmm. at? Where do you see yourself going with this route? Yeah. Um, I definitely feel like while I have experience in it, I still feel very much like, you know, eyes wide, like looking at it around me and taking in, like, I think it's always good to have that sense of like learning and growth and wonder in what we're doing. Um, so I definitely still feel that because I, I know like after, after Chicago, I was like, okay, I know I could have like done my fueling a little differently. I think this could have shifted or, you know, there's like all these reflections. Um, so I still have some big personal goals of hitting the Olympic standard in the marathon um, and qualifying what is for that? To- for Tokyo, it's a 2:45 marathon. Um, at the moment, there's some potential stuff with the IAAF changing, but um, just a bit uh, a big PR. You know, I'm just trying to like <laughs> get uh, get more out of me and see what I'm capable of. And I, my coach knows I'm capable of that time, and I know I can do it. So I want to want to like really dive into that and see see what I can do because it's something I would have never pursued had I not kind of happened upon this like life path that I'm on. Um, I would have never thought that I could qualify for the Olympics, but here I am like, that is exactly what I'm going after. Um, so that's really exciting and also like totally daunting, which I guess any good goal should be pretty, pretty intimidating. Um, and then, like, aside from that, um, I've, I just did a, hosted a trail running retreat um, in partnership with Lodged Out, which is a really great company about, um, like, unplug, unplugged retreats in remote places of the U.S. Um, and we're trying to do that annually. So that's super exciting because I really do love event planning and getting to share share what I've learned with others and then to kind of like facilitate an experience for people is really special. Um, and then, um, I'm like constantly like reaching out to and hearing from like girls in Saudi Arabia about pursuing running. Um, and I'm connected to a running group out there and kind of do things to, we do things to support each other. Um, so, kind of like staying plugged into the community um as well as still pursuing personal goals and I think it's a good good way to share it's just good to always like share what we're learning okay there there's a lot of follow-up questions (laughs) I have um okay but first I think it is probably probably uh kind of important to understand uh the significance of your first Olympics in 2012, mm-hmm. um, especially being, if I'm correct, you were the first Saudi Arabian woman to compete in the Olympic Games. Is that yes, myself that and right? um, this woman was Dan. We were that was the first Olympics ever that Saudi Arabia sent female athletes, and I was one of them. Okay, so how did this happen? <laughs> yeah, that is that is a good question, and it's like kind of like the craziest most unexpected thing in my life. Um, I was a sophomore in college and training actually for my first marathon. Um, when some of my family in Saudi Arabia, um, I have dual citizenship and some of my family was telling me like, Oh, like Saudi Arabia might send women to compete this year. Like, would you be interested? I'm like, Oh yeah. Like 
okay. <laughs> you know, I was like a walk on on the cross country team and like just a like a slightly above average runner, I guess. Um, and Olympics was never something I like dreamt about growing up. Always watched it with the family, but always, you know, that was like for the like top athletes. <laughs> and I just never saw myself there. Um, but um, about like a few months before the Olympics, there was like talks that it might happen. And then I get an unofficial, like somehow my name got in the mix of the people who were looking. And I don't even know exactly how that happened, which is really funny. But I think maybe a family member said something to someone who said something to someone about my name, you know, and that I like ran in college. Um, so somehow my name got in the mix. And then ultimately a month and a half, only a month and a half before the opening ceremony, of London 2012, I got an an official invitation from the International Olympic Committee to compete. And so why I needed an invitation was because I didn't have a qualifying standard, but they have a clause that says if like a country doesn't have um, anyone who meets the qualifying standards, they can invite people through this, through this clause to boost participation. So that is um, how I was able to go. But you can imagine how crazy that was um like when when there were first talks of it my mom and I were like wait so they're talking about like the Olympics in two months not in like the next four years you know (laughs) it was like so crazy how much my life shifted literally overnight from like when they announced it um because it was a pretty like groundbreaking thing on on a global platform um because not only was this the first time Saudi Arabia ever sent female athletes it was also the first Olympics that all countries had female representation. Um, so a pretty, pretty wildly beautiful big thing to be part of, um, but totally unexpected in my life. So um, literally went from just being like a regular like college student doing my thing, training for my first marathon to being like planning, planning a trip to London to go actually compete in the Olympics. You know, it's yeah. crazy. <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. So tell me now, take me to when, when you're there, you're in London. Yeah. And you're like, holy crap, this is actually happening. Like, uh, where did you walk out in the opening ceremonies? Like what was going mm-hmm. through your head at this point? Were you just, were you really excited? Were you freaking out in a way? Like what yeah. was going through your head? <laughs> uh, so many things. I think, um, one of a funny observation was like, walking around the Olympic village, I totally just felt like I was like a spectator who got like an inside look (laughs) or, you know, I was like, it took me a while to, to feel like an athlete there, I guess. Cause it was so, so something I never imagined in my life. Um, and then I did, we got a walk in the opening ceremony, which still stands out to be one of the most like epic things in my life. Um, that was, that was incredible. Cause we were, that was kind of like our first, like showing to the world that like women are competing for Saudi Arabia, you know? Um, so that was just really meaningful. And my dad actually got a walk in the opening ceremony with me, um, which is like a super unique, special thing that happened and, and was a cool experience to share with him. Um, but really I didn't have time to like 
even process what was happening. I just kind of had to be there and be like on top of it, you know, like all of a sudden I was doing all these interviews and we, you know, as soon as it was announced, like time magazine, people magazine, all these different magazines were like calling our house. Like, I don't even know how to get your number. (laughs) Um, and I just, I don't know. It was like a, such a big learning curve of like how to handle all of that. My dad was basically like my agent helping handle all the media. Um, and there was just like no time to even like realize what was happening. I think all of that came afterwards. Um, I was just like, had to be there and like get ready for this big, big thing and, and, and do all these interviews and just like be on top of it. And, um, it was like, it was wild. You know, I think about that. I'm like, man, I was like, all of a sudden I was like in the Olympic village of London, 2012. And like there as an athlete being highlighted in the London paper as like one of the main stories, <laughs> you know, it's totally crazy. What were some of the questions that these reporters or magazines were asking you? Like, was it heavily focused on, uh, the Saudi, like being the first, one of the first two Saudi mm-hmm. Arabian women's out there. And like, did you feel like, you know, suddenly you're at the limelight of this thing and like kind of thrust into this position. Like, Mm -hmm. how did you deal with that sudden change? Yeah. Um, really difficultly. (laughs) It was was (laughs) super hard, but also, um, it's kind of one of those things where like, there was no option not to do well in these interviews and to like, not to like, um, not to just like explain what was going on. Well, so I had to just, be on top of it like I don't even think I got a good I like probably got a B or something in public speaking and in college and here I am like having to do these big global interviews and like everyone's telling me that I'm like doing really well in them I'm like oh okay like that's great (laughs) like I'm you know I'm just like trying to explain like what's best happening and and give people um facts because I also was learning like if if I didn't tell my story and share what was going on from my personal perspective, like people, they're going to like share the story regardless. And they're going to like make up whatever they want to put, put in, put in place of what my interview could have been. Um, and a lot of it was just the surrounding, like just what, what was happening, like my background, what, what, what like helped make make the decision, just all these things about this being the first time and, and what that meant. Um, but definitely like, definitely a crazy learning curve of, of getting into, into like doing interviews with people. It's fascinating. So how connected were you to what was going on in Saudi Arabia and this? Cause it seemed, you know, you said you're just kind of like, so, somehow you came up and is it the government that decided to send athletes? Mm-hmm. So like how connected were you with to that and what was going on with this change in Saudi Arabia? Yeah, this was less of a like a uh, change in the country and more just a change in the, the federation of, and the Saudi Olympic committee sending athletes. Um, and I was as connected as much as like I kept up with my family and, Um, but it was a pretty like last minute thing that came about. So there was not even a way to like really have been involved in it prior, you know? Yeah. Okay. Jeez. That's, I can't even imagine like Mm -hmm. just some of the things you had to deal with during doing that. Mm -hmm. So take me. So when was your event in the two weeks of the Olympics? 
Yeah, it was closer towards the end, I think. Um, it was like August 8th, I believe. Um, so there was like a little time beforehand and a little time like in between the opening ceremony and that event. Um, so like a decent amount of time in there. Okay. Were you staying in the Olympic Village? We stayed outside of the village, but went to the village almost like daily for practicing and meals and all that type of stuff. Okay. So is it like, I, can you just tell me a little bit about what it is like to be a part of the Olympics, to be participating mm-hmm. in it for like kind of behind the scenes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was crazy. Like I said, I almost felt like a spectator, but then at the same time, I was like walking around with my pass and like my country's pins, which was a fun thing that I learned about, um, is that each country has like an Olympic pin for that year and everyone trades with people. Um, so you end up with like pins from literally around the world, um, from the Olympics and you like, it's a fun way to connect with, with other people who are there. Um, so that was really cool. And just kind of like walking around the dining hall and going to the practice fields and, and just seeing what it was all like and seeing like professional athletes that I've like heard about uh, just like getting their meals or doing their warmups. And it was really cool because you realize like, oh, everyone's just like normal people who have worked really hard to like achieve something, which is a cool, cool thing to see. And it was also incredible to be in a place where literally someone from every country in the world was also there. Um, like where else does that happen? You know? So that's like, um, a pretty cool thing that I reflected on a lot while I was there. Yeah. Were you able to interact with other people pretty often or is everyone kind of in their own world, just making sure they're ready for their event? Yeah. Kind of a little of both. Um, there's definitely some interaction, but everyone is kind of just like doing their thing. And like, we were pretty busy going back and forth from the village since, we weren't um, staying there and like um, there's just like a lot going on, at least on my side of it with it being like a big, big thing happening. And then I think I also took a lot of time to myself just to kind of like process, like try and process what was happening or just like decompress a little bit. Yeah. I can imagine you would need that time. Yeah. <laughs> so I guess how did the actual event go for you? Were you like, trying to place a certain place where you did you have a goal for this or were you just happy yeah. to be there I was just happy to be there I was racing um the 800 which is a race I had only done once in high school and haven't done <laughs> since um it was one of those distances in high school where I just wanted to keep doing the two mile and our coach was like you have to do each distance at least once so I was like okay I did my 800 I'm never doing that again and <laughs> And lo and behold, it's the distance I end up doing in in the Olympics. Um, but that said, um, I didn't have a qualifying time in any distance. Um, the 800 was a really great option that we selected because um, I wouldn't be out on the track for too long getting lapped. But we were able to like be on the track and have that like really beautiful experience like just that walking onto the track and having literally a full stadium there cheering you on is like kind of a feeling I can't I haven't quite yet been able to accurately 
describe or to pick because it was so insane. Um, so yeah, I was definitely behind the whole pack of runners. But as I was finishing, because I kind of had my own stretch to finish to myself, I had a standing ovation from 80,000 people finishing because they were all so excited and like supporting what like this movement meant, which was incredible. Yeah, <laughs> I'm speechless. I can't. That's just mm-hmm. got to be such a cool experience. Mm-hmm. So, so how do you, where do you go from that? You know, you're still, uh, so now you're going into your junior year of college. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you've just set off this huge movement and broken history. Mm-hmm. Like, where do you go from that? Yeah. So literally I get home from London and I'm home for, home for a day and then go back to start college and cross country camp literally that soon after coming back. So all of a sudden I was like back at Pepperdine and at cross country camp and I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> like what, what is going on? Cause right now I'm like kind of just going through my like normal day to day stuff, but nothing is the same. Although everything's the same, you know, it's one of those weird confusing things. Um, definitely a lot. That's like where a lot of the processing started to take place. Um, I was an art major, so um, some of my projects were spent, I like reflected on, on the Olympics. And then I even got a grant to do this research project in the art, in art with one of my professors that was exploring, um, some of the themes that I was working through dealing with, um, that whole processing component. Um, and then it was crazy though. I was like, Things were definitely like, it definitely spurred on this momentum. Like, I think I was back for maybe a month already. And I, on Twitter, um, I came across a photo from, of me from the race, but it was, um, displayed as street art in the capital of Saudi Arabia. So my image is literally on this like wall in Saudi Arabia and, that's like, as an art major, especially too, like, that was like really cool. I was like, whoa, you know, you're like kind of controversial and doing something big if you're like street art somewhere. <laughs> um, Were you happy so was, with the, uh, with the painting? Did they do well? Yeah, it was, it was super cool. Um, very like Banksy-esque style, <laughs> you know, very street art. Um, and the artist goes by the name Shawish. And I actually got to meet him um, in Saudi Arabia and go see the street art in person, which was really incredible. Um, and then I was in Saudi Arabia that winter, like after after that Summer Olympics. And that's actually when that running group I mentioned started up and they like had me at their first few running clubs and like that they've like spurred on this whole movement now. Like they just had a big feature in Runner's World this past summer about um, like Saudi women are running the country because they're running so much now. And, you know, it's been six years since that initial participation, but you can really like, it's like crazy how much has shifted. So, so getting back from London was like starting to notice all these little things and a lot of internal processing. And then in the year since it's been cool to just like really, no, like just keep reflecting on it, but then to also see how it's, how the movement has taken on like a, a being of its own, essentially. Like I was that initial spark maybe, but it's totally like this beautiful thing on its own now. 
Yeah, I know what article you were referencing, so I definitely want to talk cool. about that a little bit yeah. as well. Um, but before we do that, so what was – two questions. When you mm-hmm. first got back to campus and you go back to your cross-country team or you're in classes, like – do other people know who you are? Do they know what like you've just done and what happened yeah. or like what were the reactions you were getting from people were like were people excited for you? Were they kind of yeah. like weird towards you? Um a little of everything. Like there were people who knew, more people knew than didn't know. And then the our school paper like did an article on me um and it was definitely talked about in the summertime like when it was happening from our school. Um, the team like was super excited and they called me the Olympian and like one of our coaches started calling me Rio as like, in terms of like referencing like the next Olympics. <laughs> um, so stuff like that was like super fun. Um, but I'm also pretty like, it's not like the first thing I tell you about myself. Like some people like know me for a bit or like get to know me and then they're like, Oh, whoa, I just found out like you were in the Olympics. You didn't tell me. I'm like, ah, I don't know. It's like, <laughs> I don't just like go around like spouting it out. Um, or talking about myself like that a lot. Um, so there are definitely maybe some people who didn't know. And, um, so definitely like things were like normal, but then also not like, like all of a sudden I'd be talking to someone about the Olympics or whatnot, but, um, I don't know an interesting, interesting mix for sure. Okay. And so to kind of piggy bank off that or piggyback, not bank, um, <laughs> Uh, so then when you, you said you went back to Saudi Arabia six months after that, what, like, what was it like there at that time then for you being there and seeing kind of this group starting up and some more things Mm -hmm. happening there, like seeing those changes take place and, and being actually back there to, to see that, what was that like for you? Yeah, that was really powerful. Um, just to see like this running club, like credits what I did with like why they started and now they're this like crazy cool movement. Um, and then I also got to speak at my cousin's all girls school. And that's like, it was maybe an auditorium of like 400 girls, a total age range of like kindergarten to high school. Um, and they like, it was like a big day in their school that I like came to visit and they printed out all these photos of me that I signed. And like people, girls were like standing in line to take photos and to chat with me um, I started out my talk asking the whole auditorium, like who here would like to compete in the Olympics one day? And literally all the girls raised their hand. <laughs> and that maybe has, is still standing as one of the most like impactful and profound moments for me, um, in this whole thing, because that shows like, like prior to London with like girls, in Saudi Arabia did not have going to the Olympics as an option, you know? And after London, that all of a sudden became something that they could work towards. And to see them all be so excited about that potential was is like so beautiful. It was it was so incredible. Do you have any idea why London was the first time that this happened? Like why not in two thousand eight or before? Um, I don't know. I don't know where like the whole process was or if it was even being talked about or, or whatnot, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Well, but London was the year. <laughs> yeah. Better late than never, I guess. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. So let's talk about some more about like Saudi Arabia and this running club. So you met them on this trip, um, on this trip that we were just talking about mm-hmm. and 
like how have what's been your involvement with them since and what have you seen from them and how have they been changing um the scene and the conversation yeah if anyone's like interested in really seeing what this group's all about look up the Jetta running collective um it is it's just cool to see like th- what they're putting together and um, how they're doing it. Um, I've met up with them every time I go back and they're like starting to put on, they put on races and they just hosted their first like all women's race. And um, they really made it like a very, just like a very positive thing. And um, it's just fun to stay connected with them and like, I've done like Instagram takeovers. Like I did one when I was in Chicago, they had me do a little takeover about like what I was doing while I was there. And, um, they're always like sharing when I PR or, you know, sharing fun stuff, um, about what I'm up to and training. Um, so it's just a fun, fun way to stay connected with, with that whole movement. Have you experienced any backlash from this or I'm sure have, do you know about any backlash Um, they've experienced or any fight from other people or groups? So not necessarily the running group itself, but initially in London, like in 2012, um, there was definitely backlash to my participation. Um, so that was another whole other side of like why it was hard was because here I'm doing this thing I really believe in and it's hard and big and new. And then I have like a lot of people all of a sudden saying like, who do you think you are? Like, you shouldn't be doing this. Women shouldn't be run. Like, I don't know. People, people were, had a lot of opinions and that's like also when I learned to just like not, not read anything on the internet. (laughs) Um, you know, you just like have to learn that at some point. But, um, there is definitely some, definitely like both sides of the argument were being had and I was in the middle of it. So that was very, very big and overwhelming. Um, and that has like definitely shifted though. Like, um, it is so much more positive and you go to Saudi Arabia now and there are like people running outside and, um, like the enthusiasm, there was definitely still enthusiasm from people with in London, but like in Rio, it was a whole different, it was like a whole different experience. Um, so that definitely, I think, you know, when there's, when there's change, people, some people don't want that to happen. Um, but it did. And then people like grow to understand it or, or are forced to understand it. Or, you know, it's just like how, how things go. Things always are evolving. Yeah, so I I do want to talk about Rio as well, mm-hmm. um, and I just forgot what I was going to ask. <laughs> <laughs> um, hold on. Ah, I forgot. Well, okay, let's get into Rio then. Um, yeah. So so yeah. So finished in 2012, and were you instantly thinking like, okay, I want to try to do Rio? Like, was it always an option right after? And when did it? start to become something that you realize, okay, I'm going to be trying to get to Rio again. No. Yeah. That really didn't come to mind until after I graduated college. Um, cause I was still part of, um, um, like NCAAs and just like the whole college collegiate system. So I couldn't, 
even like pursue running like professionally separate from that if I wanted to. And then um, I was like a classic, like over committed college student who was so busy and I had like so much going on. So I was just trying to like graduate, (laughs) you know, I was just like, I'm like, just need a, I like totally shifted gears and was just like, I was still running of course and doing marathons and like um, doing this stuff, but it was all just like within uh, you know, not, not thinking much about Rio. Um, but that was definitely my most asked question. <laughs> um, you know, everyone's like, so are you going to do Rio? Are you going to do Rio? And I'm like, I have no idea, you know, especially because, um, it wasn't like I was going to qualify and then go. It was like, I still had to like get confirmation from Saudi Arabia and I don't even know if they're going to send women again or, you know, I don't know what the whole system is going to look like. Um, So then it was after I graduated and I was kind of like, oh, maybe I should like, there's a chance I'll be invited again to Rio. So I'd like to be a little more prepared this time. So that was how I was looking at it when I graduated. Um, And luckily I found Andrew Castor and Dina Castor of the Mammoth Track Club. And they were like so enthusiastic to help me grow as an athlete and continue, continue the story. Okay, I do remember what I was going to ask, so I'm going to cool. jump back real quick, and then we'll get <laughs> yeah. back into Rio. Um, it's just kind of curious. So, when, like, why were women not allowed to run? And uh, like, were they? Was it just running that was kind of banned in Saudi Arabia, or was it any exercise or sports? Or like, do you know why this was um, the case for so long? Yeah. So it's not that running was ever banned. Um, exercising outside was not something that was like against the law. It just was something that was like not publicly done a lot. Like even men didn't run outside a lot. Um, just like kind of like in the U S at one point there, people didn't like go running outside all that much as they do now. Um, so just a shift in, in all of that. Um, it was just like, uh, not just not the norm to go out and go for a run. So what, like if, if someone went out and ran, would they get like harassed? Would they get uh, probably not arrested? But uh, like what would happen if someone were to go out? Yeah. And run? So it, well now it's much different. So this is all applying to like 2012 and before. Okay. Um, but I actually had an experience where I was there in 2011. So before London, even happened. Um, I was training for like, we were there in the summer and I was like, dad, I got to like get my training in for cross country coming up. You know, I want to run while I'm here. And it's, there's like a few women's gyms at the time, but they're kind of hard to get to, or like, I don't know, it's just a process. So I was like, can we just go run outside? Um, and so he, he decided to help me do that and he had me kind of like put on these like baggy clothes and a hat and I realized I'm like oh I'm like dressing up like a guy (laughs) (laughs) um and then he actually drove next to me as I was running and I had this car full I was literally like five minutes into the run it was on this like beautiful stretch of the Red Sea um called the Corniche and it's this like walkway along the along the sea. And I had this car full of like 20 something year old guys like come up next to me and they were like yelling at me like, what do you think you're doing? You shouldn't be out here, you know, just like yelling a lot at me. So I just like stopped the run, got into the car. I'm like, OK, dad, I'm like, well, God, do this today, <laughs> you know. Um, so there was definitely that happening, I guess, um, just because it was also something that like they don't see ever happen. Um 
Then on the flip side of that, you go fast forward to either, I think it was like 2013, 2014. So after London, um, we're in Saudi Arabia again, and I need a run. So um, this time my sister's with me and we talked to our dad about taking us to that same spot to go running. Um, and this time we both wear our full abayas. Um, so the black gowns that you see women wearing. Um, so we wear those to go running outside and, um, my dad's driving alongside us and we have no issues. We're running and we get in like a full hour. And I think it was like 40 minutes into the run. I see an officer go up to my dad in the car and talks to him for a little bit. So I thought that was interesting or I was curious about that. So we, I asked him what that was about. Like, I thought maybe he was going to tell them, like, we needed to stop or I don't know. I had no idea. Um, um, but after when I talked to my dad, I'm like, oh, what did they talk to you about? And the officer was actually just checking that my dad wasn't harassing us running because he <laughs> saw a car like he saw a car following us, you know. Um, so, like, I have these two totally drastically different experiences that are so fascinating to reflect upon. Um, and now they've actually installed walkways in the city that like are designated for walking and running. So you go there now and you see men and women walking and running along those pathways. So that's like where I go now and it's very normal and my dad will walk while I'm running and, you know, it's kind of this like fun thing we do now. So just to see even like the shift in the few, in the times that I've run there has been pretty, pretty incredible. Yeah, that's really cool to see that transition and be a part yeah. of that. Yeah, yeah. When was, when's the last time you've been back there? Um, I haven't been in a little bit just because um, timing hasn't worked when my family's gone. And then training is like getting more uh, intense to stay put as like goal gets closer. Um, so not for a little bit, but I'm definitely wanting to get back and reconnect and and. Kind of, especially because, like, I feel like a lot of the biggest shifts have happened in the last year. Um, so it'd be awesome to to get back there and even just to spend time with family, you know? Yeah. So wait, you said you think some of the biggest shifts have happened in the last year? Yeah, like, um, like women driving, women boating, um, stuff like that. The running club is, like, bigger than ever. Um, all kinds of really, like, bigger bigger shifts oh yeah that's terrific i hope you're able to get back soon yeah and, thank uh, you yeah um okay so back to rio uh -huh. thank you for following the sidestep um, totally that was a cool story to share <laughs> yeah and i like i don't know anything really about saudi arabia other, mm -hmm. like other than the terrible things we see in the news so it's good well, exactly to see. it's like it's always fun to share um actual personal experiences because most people only get like Western media. And oh yeah. It's, it's a very one-sided specific, um, intentions that they have with, with that. So yeah, yeah, like that's, I was actually just talking with, um, another guest I had on here a few days ago and we were talking about Iran and mm -hmm. in America, like, you know, the perception of Iran is like, you would never, ever think of going there. But mm -hmm. I've known multiple people who've gone there and been totally fine, and it's one of their favorite countries and places they've yeah. ever been to. Yeah. So, got to uh, be skeptical of some of the things we read and get exposed Always. to in the media. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay. So, so Rio. So, what was the process like to get 
into that? Was it similar to London and yeah. What, yeah, what was the route to, to get into um, those games? Rio was also like kind of a, ended up being pretty last minute, which um, I kind of anticipated happening just based on how London came together. But um, my coach and I had been preparing as if I was going. So we're like, okay, we're going to like do this marathon build up as if Rio, the Rio marathon is what we're doing. Um, and I still had not, I don't have a qualifying standard still. So I was, I was invited again to compete. Um, and this time I ran in the marathon. So that was really cool. When you're training for that, how, how many marathons do you actually run before the event? Yeah. Zero. Um, Really? Yeah. In marathon training, it's, uh, more about like weekly volume and stacking big weeks on top of each other um, rather than any one specific run that reaches like marathon distance. Um, I usually get up to like 22 or 24 miles in my longest run. Um, and especially now that I've done um, 11 marathons, I definitely have like confidence in the distance itself. Um, so that definitely plays a role also is like experience in the distance, but you definitely don't need to, um, do, do a full marathon in the buildup. So what's like an average weekly volume of, of miles and what would be considered like a pretty big week? Yeah. So for example, going into Chicago, um, this last summer and fall, I got up to 90 miles a week. Which for 90? me was my yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so it's pretty. <laughs> it gets it gets pretty hefty. Like I tell like, and that's even on the lower side for um, elite marathoners. So I'm still like working up my miles, but that was my biggest week ever. Um, and but you don't maintain that for like more than a few weeks. Like you'll do, I'll do like a 78, an 85, a 90, and then like a rest, kind of like a down week that's less miles. So it's not like I'm running like 90 weeks every week, you know, or 90 miles a week every week. Um, and I tell people, I'm like, you don't run 90 miles a week on accident. Like it's very, um, it's a lot. And I was also working like three part-time jobs during this as well. And I don't know how, (laughs) I don't know how I, how I fit that all in, but somehow it all worked. And, um, you know, you have like second runs in the afternoon and it's all very, um, I'm glad I have a coach to help me put it all together. And he's, he's great at, at that guidance. So yeah, it's, it gets up there. Did you even have an off day during that week or like a rest day or was it like you're running, but it's less? Yeah, exactly. An off day is like an easy eight mile run and four in the afternoon. (laughs) Easy. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I think I was having an off day like once every three weeks. Um, and yeah, that's kind of it. You just like mentally prepare for that and get into it. And it kind of just becomes that like marathon grind and you're tired all the time. And that's kind of like the beauty of it. Are your legs and your body just hurting at all times? Or like, are, do you go out for a run and you feel like, oh, I feel pretty fresh today? Um, Your body definitely adapts, you know, like anything, you work up to that. So it's not like I all of a sudden just like did 90 miles a week out of nowhere. Like I did a very big summer of like base building and um, 
So the body itself like feels pretty good aside from like super big workouts that you feel depleted after. Um, I think it's almost more my like brain energy is um, a little de- depleted more, more so <laughs> like I was calling it like marathon brain the whole build up because I was just like a little out of it all the time. <laughs> I was like, sorry, guys. I'm like, I don't know what's happening today. And that was like every day, <laughs> even if I got like 10 hours of sleep, you know? Oh my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So for the actual, the actual Olympic games, so you did a mm-hmm. marathon there. So how was this one different for you from 2012? Did you feel much more prepared for everything? And was it still as big of a media type thing on you? Like how was this mm-hmm. experience different? Yeah, it was like so different in in so many ways. Um, it was definitely like less of a news story, but still a lot of media engagements. Um, and we went from two female athletes in London to four female athletes in Rio. So that was really cool. Um, and it was also really cool to be able to run um, the distance that I like, like to train for. Um, I had my, my coach came with me to Rio. So I had like my coach there. We did a whole proper like build up for this race. I was in good shape. Like we knew, like we joked that the race was actually the easiest part of the whole like few weeks in, in Rio, just cause like the logistics and there's so many other things going on that the race was like, Oh, this is like, we're pretty dialed. We know what we're doing here. Um, and I also had one of my teammates, Alexi Papas, who ran, she ran for Greece in the 10,000 meters. Um, she's, she's on the Mammoth Track Club as well. And she was also in Rio. So that was kind of cool to have like, um, like a team outside of like my country's team, but the team that I also train with on the daily, like my coach and a teammate were also there. Um, so that was really special. And then I got to run the marathon, a distance that I really like. And I also like, like, um, Des Linden was in that race along with obviously our other U.S. U.S. runners, but I've connected with her a few times. Um, and she like tweeted out before Rio, like, Oh, I get to share, share the course with one of my favorite athletes, Sarah Atar this, this week or something like that. And that was just a cool, it was like a cool way to also connect with these runners that I follow in the U S. Um, and just to be able to, like she mentioned, share the course, share the course. Um, that's what I've always loved about the marathon is like, you can be, you, we like run, we all run the same course, whether you're in the, the first place or like way in the back of the pack, you know? Do you all start at the same time? Yeah. Okay. So how many people are usually actually in the marathon race? Um, in the Olympics? Yeah. It, it's like 130, maybe something like that. And then Rio was also the hard, a hard thing about Rio. Um, even though we, we, we totally heat trained because the race was really hot. It was really hot and humid. Um, and I run more covered. So we heat trained all summer. So that itself did not affect me that much during the race, aside from, of course, like natural extra depletion that happens from the heat. But it was like the race was at like in the like mid morning and it was maybe 80 to 90 degrees out with like 90 percent humidity. So it was like that was also just a whole thing to like prepare for. And um, luckily it was like training throughout the summer and um, we heat trained really well for that. Are you allowed to bring 
things with you for the marathon in the Olympics? Are you allowed to have a water bottle or like gels or anything? So it, um, the Olympics works kind of like the elites have in like all, all major marathons. Like you have your own fluids and they put those out on tables for you. Um, so I had all my like planned fluid stations and they had like water stops and I was dumping water on me all the time. And I had all my right fueling. Um, and even like before the race, I had on an ice vest to core my, to cool my core temperature. And I had, um, I was holding, I put like ice up my arm sleeves and, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> anything, anything to help keep the temperature down in, in the body before starting. Like I didn't even do a warm up or anything cause it was already like so warm. We're like, let's just save it for the, save it for the race. <laughs> so, okay. So Rio happens. Were you happy with how you raced there? Yeah. Rio was super solid. I was definitely still like way in the back on my own kind of out there, but I actually had this really cool experience. Like there's another woman, I think from Singapore who was around my pace and we kind of had like our own like mini race in the back. Cause we like passed each other a few times and, um, Alexi was on the course and she was like, like telling me how far ahead I was of her. And like, it was super fun. And my coach was on the course handing me my bottle. Cause you're allowed, they were allowed to do that. Um, so it was a super special race just in terms of like um, getting to see like my family on the course, my friends on the course, my coach on the course, where typically it's harder to do that in a big marathon, but there were so many loops. And then um, it was a really solid time for, for myself. Um, it wasn't a PR because of the heat, but I, and I knew I was like in better shape if the, the temperature was different, but um, we were very happy with how the race um, was executed. Yeah. That's awesome. That's mm -hmm. so cool. What? So I'm curious, what is like, because when you think of running, you usually don't think of like needing a coach exactly. Mm -hmm. I mean, for obviously for any high level sport, you need a coach, but you know, it's not something that is a lot of, you know, running a lot of people do on their own. So mm -hmm. what role does a coach play in running and like how influential are they in and helping you improve and, and becoming, mm -hmm. reaching your full capacity and capabilities. Yeah. So I have found having a coach to be so incredible. Um, shout out to Andrew Caster cause he's, he's been coaching me for about four years now. Um, which is really great to have, to be able to like grow, um, as an athlete with him. And he understands like my like tendencies and just has been able to see me, um, running just for that amount of time. Um, and then he, his big role, like he's making our, my schedule. Um, so the whole mammoth track club, he coaches and we'll like meet for practice. And we have a team van that he drives and he picks our, our training locations and he maps out our routes and he times us and he puts out the cones and he does all these things that are like incredibly helpful. Um, even our long runs, like we'll do point to point and he picks us up. He hands us bottles on the runs. Um, so he is there to like make sure we are getting the best out of ourselves and that we are like best set up to do that. Um, like when I go back to visit family um, in San Diego and I have like a big workout, I'm like, oh, OK, I have to like figure out where to do it, like where to place a bottle so I can get it during the run or like you know, there's just a lot more logistics that, um, he takes care of when I'm up here and 
that really allows like just the brain energy to go all towards working out. And, um, I don't know. It's just a whole less, less component to have to figure out. And then there's obviously the whole science behind like creating a training schedule that, um, he is really well versed in and understands and knows how to, how to craft that. Um, and I'm really grateful to have that. Do you ever do any heart based or like heart monitor based running? Like I've, um, yeah, um, I don't know anything really about it, but I, have you ever heard of a guy named Rich Roll? Oh yeah, I like listen to his podcast okay. on the daily. <laughs> yeah, he's awesome. Yeah. Um but I read his book and when he was training for his first ultra man, I guess, or ultra run, which is 52 uh-huh. miles, he said he ta- he did a lot of like heart-based um exercises and trying to stay in zone 2 or whatever that is. Yeah. Uh, is that something uh, you've experimented with or like what I what's haven't. the science we behind don't... it? Yeah, I actually don't know too much because we don't do it really up here. Um, and I just haven't ever learned too much about it because our group doesn't like focus on that. Um, the only time I've paid, I've like paid attention to heart rate if I was ever feeling like overtrained and I'll like take it each morning to make sure it's not um, like changing too drastically or, you know, kind of like checking on that. Um and that's like the only time I've really paid paid much attention, so I don't have too much on the on info on that. Okay. Yeah. It, so is like when we you know we talked about earlier, kind of some of the uh, the meditative mm-hmm. aspects of running. How much of your running is, if there even is a split, like are you focused a hundred percent on the competition and improving today and making sure you're on pace or mm-hmm. like right form and is there like a, a balance between those two worlds that you're trying to merge on your runs or is it just intertwined yeah um it's definitely always intertwined but we do have like our workout days our tuesday and friday um so we'll do more like speed work on tuesday and then tempo like longer longer hard efforts on friday Um, and those are definitely more of the days where I'm like focusing on pacing and my form and my times and, you know, kind of the more like technical side of things. And those get really, those are just the really hard days. Um, but even on those, those days, I have a second run in the evening where I'm like, that one always becomes the more like contemplative, reflective one. Um, there obviously are days that are just kind of like, I just need to get this run done today because I'm tired and I don't want to think about anything, you know? <laughs> so it's not like all my runs are these like beautiful, like, um, meditation. Some are really, really hard. Um, and then the easy days, of course, definitely are the times that become more reflective. And then this whole summer, um, I did my long runs on my own and went to, did all these like big backcountry runs. Um, and those were because I know like the mountains do so much for me that being out there and like being able to run out there and run for literally hours out there was like so profound. Um, so, and then I also made, um, my second runs, I would go up to the lakes, the lakes basin in mammoth, which is this like beautiful place we run at like all summer and it gets it's closed uh, to running in the winter because it's all snowy. So you can cross country ski there, but um, it's definitely my favorite place to run. That's like really close by. 
And so I would do all my second runs up there at sunset over the summer. And I was like, cause second runs are just like so hard sometimes cause you're so tired, but I made them this like beautiful thing that I always looked forward to. Cause I picked like where and when I was doing it. And I picked a time and place that I knew was going to like feed me in a certain way and like give me that, that kind of meditative process, um, and just beautiful reflection reflecting time that I, that I love. How do you, f- like, I'm picturing you running through these mountains and like there being giant boulders and like pebbles and yeah. like, how do you find a, a rhythm or a groove? Like when you're, I imagine they're mm-hmm. pretty up and down. Like how do you even find mm-hmm. a pace and when you're doing these runs? Yeah, it depends on the trail. Like there were some that were super steep and you, you're definitely hiking a lot of it. Um, but you just kind of like, that's also like its own pace. And I think that's like kind of the funnest way to engage with the landscape is like learning what the, the land and the topography will allow you to kind of, um, and some of the routes though, um, like we were on the high route, which shares sections with the John Muir trail and the Pacific crest trail. Um, and that was one of my favorite sections to run. And that was like definitely more runnable. So you're kind of like hopping on rocks and you're moving, but you kind of find this just like trail rhythm. I actually wrote a piece for um, She Explores, uh, which is a really, really cool platform uh, for women in the outdoors. And I, ca- I titled it Trail Rhythm because it was about um, just this exact idea of like stepping on the rocks and like looking at the path ahead and still being on a trail, but like finding your way and looking at those, those types of views and all that. You're making me want to move away from Chicago. <laughs> We've got I flat land. Mountains. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Back to two more questions on the Olympics that I, yeah. I wanted to make sure I'd ask before we get too far away from that. Um, so are you are training for Tokyo? Is that correct? Yes. Okay. And that's 2020, I believe. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, so how do you think you've changed most since your first Olympics? Oh, wow. Um, man, it, it's like pushed so much growth into my life. Um, in like beautifully hard and profound ways, you know, I think, I think that it kind of like brought me to the mountains is actually one of the things I'm most grateful for. Um, cause I've fallen like madly in love with them outside of even running. So I know like I always want to be connected to this place and like just getting up and climbing and mountaineering and being out here. Um, so that's one of the things I found is just like that it brought me to this place that I really connect to. Um, it also showed me like to not settle, I guess, or kind of like realize that there might be something in your life that's even bigger than you can realize at play. And it's going to bring you somewhere incredible. And you might not even know that that's like brewing inside of you at the moment. Um, so kind of like just being open to possibility and being open to like crazy things happening and, and the unexpected, um, and kind of leaning into those experiences. And, and then I think also just like the, 
the push to really find my own voice and tell my own story. Um, I think that's one of the main reasons I got into like writing and sharing about these experiences is because um, I wanted to talk about what I was learning, but also put my own words to these stories that were already being told about me. Um, so I think just by practicing that more, it really showed me how to how to craft that and how to connect with people and how to uh, maintain connections around the world and what those types of connections mean. And, um, just like so many, so many like big, beautiful things from it. With the writing and photography and this art and kind of the way to tell your own story and, and express yourself. Um, like was there ever a time in this journey where you weren't doing that and you felt like it was difficult to kind of stay true to yourself or, or your values and, you know, mm. with all the external voices or attention you were getting and people with maybe different agendas for you? Yeah, I think that was, um, I mentioned I did, um, was got this grant to do a research project in, in my art program, um, while I was still in college. And, and that actually revolved around, um, the theme of identity. And it was because I felt almost like two different people. Like I was like, Oh, I'm this, um, famous Olympic runner, representing Saudi Arabia. And then I'm also this like Pepperdine art student in college, you know, I was like, what are, how do these, where do these intersect? Um, so I think that the writing and photography was definitely like a way to find that intersection as well. Okay. Is that something you've been trying to emphasize more lately? I know you said you kind of were trying to explore that a little bit more, but like, is it almost out of necessity, do you think, or you're just more curious in it and want to continue following the path? Of, of the writing and photography? Yeah. Like, when did those come into play, I guess? Um, I think, like, I've, I think I was mentioning, like, moving to Mammoth um, really pushed, pushed me to explore those because I just felt so in love with this place that I needed to like share it and document it. Or, um, that's like when I started to share to Instagram more consistently and got involved with she explores and doing some writing for she explores and also writing for field magazine. Um, because I had so much to say through this inspiration, I guess, from the place that I, that I found myself training. Uh, you're inspiring me. I want to, no, it's cool. Cause I mean, yeah. my whole, like kind of my whole thing is trying to push yourself and, and trying to, you know, get outside your comfort zone and challenge yourself yeah. and see what you are really capable of. And it's, yeah. it's hard to do sometimes. And if yeah. you get into the motions of life or just like, Oh, that's hard. I don't want to worry about that. And um, totally like, in what other ways do you try to challenge yourself or like try to add some variety in your routine, um, whether with running or just in your daily life? Yeah. Um, well, first I do want to add that I also can get caught up in like the, that sounds so hard. Like, can I do that? You know, like I've, I've definitely have those, those moments too. Um, hard things are hard and they're like, you know, our, our, like, our like DNA doesn't want us to, <laughs> to do them. Um, in this last year I've gotten, I've done some more like climbing and, um, gotten up some bigger mountains, which has also 
been one of the more profound things of learning like what I'm capable of. Like I summited Whitney um, this last April. So it was still a winter ascent or it was like late early spring, but we, you know, still like crampons, ice axe, um, all of that to get up. For um, those of us not in California, what's Whitney? Uh, Mount Whitney is the tallest mountain in the continental U.S., and it resides in the eastern Sierra about an hour and a half south of Mammoth Lakes in Lone Pine, a very cool city, little town. <laughs> um, so getting up, yeah, getting up Whitney and doing bigger, like different types of projects like that, of course, like during like off season of training or, or times where it fits um, the trading cycle, um, totally expanded my mind of like what I could do even more. Um, and it was really cool to experience those things. Um, so I think, yeah, those are, those are less of the daily experiences, but bigger ones that are remind, like reminded me of like, wow, there's so much to learn and to explore. And I'm like, I don't know. I never pictured, myself using like an ice axe and crampons and here I was doing that and loving it. Like it was incredible. Um, and stuff like that. And it also, there's this book. Um, one of my all time favorite books is called a field guide to getting lost by Rebecca Solnit. And she has this passage that talks about mountaineering and what that does to the expansion of our mind. Um, and I actually quote this, this same, um, passage that I'm referencing in that field magazine article about all my trail running. Um, because she talks about how getting up the mountains, um, expands the world expands when we get up there. It doesn't, it's not like you get to the top and you like see where you went and that's it. It's like the deeper you get, the, the more the whole world expands around you. And it's a, it's like the craziest visual experience for me. And, how she describes it is incredible because I think it's so symbolic for like life and training and what we're doing. And, um, like it's important to go after things like climb these mountains that literally expand your view rather than like, it's not a finish line. It like brings you to just a greater understanding and like view of around you, you know? Um, so that's, I think been one of the most ways of like, pushing my like comfort, I guess, is seeing the way that the world expands when you get deeper into it. I had, yeah, I had that quote written down, um, cool. to yeah. talk about. Yeah. It, yeah. I think, I don't know if it was the exact quote or if you said it at the end, but it was like, yeah, when our world expands, what our mind knows also expands, which means yes. what we are capable of expands too. Yeah. Those were my own words. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. <laughs> it's, it. mm -hmm. it's so true though. Cause when you yeah. do something that like you didn't think you were capable of before your mind expands, it, it doesn't go away. It's not just like you can forget that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it's like, I always think about that after a race too. It's like, or when I have finished these like big runs, I'm like, wow, that is like forever a part of me and in my body and like in my mind. And now because of that, I'm able to expand upon that. It's it's like the coolest feeling. Yeah, it is. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm good. <laughs> um, so 
let's talk a little bit more about some of your your training and uh, actually specifically nutrition because mm-hmm. um, nutrition is something I've recently gotten more into probably mostly because of reading Rich Roll and hearing some of his stories with yeah. nutrition. Um, so I'm curious, like, how is, like, what's your nutritional program like? Are you, mm-hmm. is this pretty different depending on the stage in your training you're in? Are you mm-hmm. able to eat crappy if you want? Are you on a very strict, like, measure out every gram of food type <laughs> diet? Like uh, well, I will start off saying I totally like geek out on nutrition. Um, I love it. I love I'm always listening to like, nutrition podcasts and reading about nutrition. And I'm actually going to take a like nutrition therapy certification course next year. So this is like a fun thing that I love to talk about. Um, Rich Roll and Scott Jurek were actually super influential in my early running. Um, I read their books like right when I started doing marathons and I was plant-based for a while, um, which I loved. And I think it, it can be really powerful. Um, when I moved up to mammoth, my coach was like, ah, you're going to like crave red meat training at altitude. Like it's just going to happen. Um, and I was like, ah, I don't know. We'll see. And, um, I will preface by saying that our team does not have like any strict protocol on diet. Um, our perspective is like, um, just good whole nourishing foods and like a lot of it to like make sure we're fueling well, you know? Um, and I think when you get to, at least personally, I love eating like really nourishing foods. Like I don't enjoy the crappy stuff, um, because I don't feel well and then that affects my training and then I don't sleep well. And I think, I think nutrition is so crucial to like even our brain functioning. Um, so Um, I just enjoy like fueling with really nourishing foods and that's kind of our perspective and, um, respecting what our body's doing and making sure we're, we're giving it what it needs and, and in taking the right nutrients and all that. Um, sure enough, I did crave, come to like crave red meat (laughs) training at altitude just because it's so hard up here. Um, and I'm not saying that's like what would happen to everyone, but I got to a point where I like, uh, wanted to, I didn't want to be a hundred percent plant-based anymore. I still think a plant emphasis is crucial. Um, and it was just fun to like learn and like feel what my body needed. And I did need up my iron and I didn't want to do that solely from supplementation. Um, and so I do, I ha- I really also enjoy like looking at like blood work. Um, and I use a company called inside tracker and they're incredible and they like do a very complete blood profile panel. Um, and then give you actual food recommendations based on what you're deficient in. Um, and they even you can even like specify if you are plant-based or if you are this, or if you are that, and they'll give you like the foods that, that fit that, that protocol. Um, So that's also been fun, like to see, to look at patterns of like when I dip in, in iron or see that my vitamin D goes lower since I now live in a place that has winter and just making sure like being cognizant of all those things, I think is really fun and fascinating. Um, and then just like, I guess my, like making sure you like feel well on what you eat, like certain foods aren't going to work for certain people and there's so many factors. So, um, 
I don't know. It's like beautifully fun for me to learn and, and see what, what works and what doesn't and to, to experiment with those types of things. Is that red meat thing with the altitude? Is that happen like with other people? I've never heard of that before. That sounds so crazy. Yeah. 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 So that's like a thing. It's like, like you like crave red meat at altitude. You like, you're, you're, you're producing, it's like the whole science of like why we train at altitude is to increase our red blood cells and all, you know, the like oxygen movement in our blood. And I'm probably not even going to explain the science super well, so I'm not going to try. But, um, that being said, when you're making more, when your hematocrit is going up, um, your iron typically can dip because of that production. So, Based on just like what's happening, your blood is like literally changing. Like I had a blood test um, before I moved to Mammoth and then literally only three months after moving to Mammoth and my hematocrit went up like seven points. So that means my like red blood cell count increased, which means you're just going to like crave, crave the iron. Um, so however, that that might like look differently for different people, but there's definitely like a... Uh, and um, I guess we, my team at least talks a lot about like eating red meat at altitude. <laughs> That's so crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So what would you eat before, like say you had a marathon in two days, mm-hmm. when would you start trying to eat the way you want to be, to be ready for that marathon? And like, what would you have the day before or the morning before? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm still, like I was saying, like experimenting and learning. And um, I try and like keep what I eat like pretty close to what I ate the whole training cycle. Um, you know, nothing like crazy different for race day. And you try and like kind of practice what you want to eat before like your long runs and big workouts to kind of simulate race day. Um, I do like oatmeal in the mornings and I love like sweet potatoes and salmon and avocado are kind of some of my like go-tos um uh bananas peanut butter I or almond butter I eat like probably (laughs) excessive amounts of almond butter um and make sure like hydration is up electrolytes are up uh maybe some extra potatoes like the night before the race but nothing like Nothing too crazy, just making sure it's, like, the full, like, nourishing food with, like, the extra emphasis on, like, maybe some carbohydrates going into it or um, just stuff like that. Um, Yeah, it can vary, though, depending on, like I said, I feel like I'm, like, relearning the distance a little bit and how I want to feel for it and stuff like that. Have you had one, like throughout your marathons have you ever had one where you started and like whether early on or halfway through you were just like oh shit this is not going well or I feel awful or like something's off like how have those Mm -hmm. gone like has there ever been one or not has ever but do any really stand out in your mind as being really crucial for whether a turning point or giving you a valuable lesson yeah um I feel like I learn a lot from all of them (laughs) but there was definitely one there was only ever one that I like actually thought about dropping out of. Um, I didn't, I finished and I still like did okay and it was fine. But, um, one of the years it was like mile, like six or seven. I was just like, man, this is not good. Like I can just tell, you know, and that's like pretty, 
early on to, to know that <laughs> usually at like mile 20, you know, you're like hitting the wall and you're like, okay, this is hard, but I have like six miles left. I can do it. But at mile seven, like it was just like a hot year in Boston. And, um, I love that course though. So it was just like, it's always just such a pleasure to be there. But, um, I remember feeling like I was in line for the Porter potty and I remember feeling like my neck and it like the sun was on my back and I'm just like, Ooh, I'm like pretty warm already. Um, and that's a later race as well. And then I just remember at mile seven, I was just like, Oh man, like this is going to be a hard one. <laughs> I like, should I still do it? And I'm like, yeah, I'm still going to do it, but this is going to be a hard one. <laughs> um, but of course those are like, you know, the workouts that don't go well or like when you're struggling and then you get through it, you're just like, oh, I can like do that. You know, it's awesome. Um, and then one of the Boston's was like pouring rain the whole year um, or the whole race. And I remember one of my long runs building up for it. I like step outside and it's pouring rain. I'm like, well, here we go. Like 20 miles. It could do this on race day. And sure enough, it did. So it's like doing getting through those things and and just like you're better for it, one. And then two, um, it like just prepares you for anything next. And like, I don't know, it's like type two fun, right? It's like not <laughs> ideal, but like you're doing it and you're, I know I still look back on those experiences and I'm like, oh, I like am grateful for that. And there have been times where I like wish I was like in that moment because it's doing what I, what I love to do. Yeah, the struggle of it is fun in a twisted sort of way sometimes. <laughs> totally. It's like why do like like going up Whitney or going up big mountains it's like hard and tiring and you're exhausted and depleted and but you like love it all the same, you know? <laughs> yeah. Cuz I think it cuz I think regardless and even when when it's harder, sometimes the expansion is bigger, right? Like the higher the mountain, the more the world expands if we want to like go all symbolic on it. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah, no, that makes sense though. It's Yeah. You don't know how how expanded it can get until you push yourself to get there and Exactly. Sometimes yeah. that's forced upon you even though exactly. it's unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Um all right, so I have a few uh selfish questions cuz I'm okay. curious about <laughs> some longer running. So, yeah. um <laughs> So, like, what are some common mistakes that you see runners make when they're training for a longer distance type run? Yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest things I've learned while training with an elite group in Mammoth is the importance of rest and recovery. And it's very easy to overdo it. and, um, And I think... Um, a lot of like easy runs are run too hard. And so then you're not recovering properly from the hard days and then like respecting the effort and getting enough sleep to recover properly. And like, um, I don't know, my coach and team are just great at emphasizing like rest when it, when it's needed and taking time off after a big race. And even, even just to like, let the nervous system calm down, you know, it goes way deeper than even just the physical repair, but like mental repair and calming the whole the whole body and the cortisol and getting everything down so I think a big mistake is just like not not properly like resting right yeah so like what were you what was like your time frame for training for a marathon say say you're just kind of running 
I don't know what an average run for you is like, but mm-hmm. say you're just kind of running not to train for anything and then suddenly you find out, hey, there's a marathon and three months away. Like, mm-hmm. is, is that something you feel like is enough time to mm-hmm. get ready for and it properly rests? Yeah. Like, what's your average time frame getting ready for one of these things? Yeah, I think like a good, a typical training cycle is 12 to 16 weeks. And um, like I said, I have a coach who helps me do all this timing stuff. (laughs) Um, But I've definitely like before I had a coach, I would I was doing marathons based on my own like research and making my own training plan. Um, So I think making sure you're far enough out and that it also depends on what kind of like base you're coming from. Um, Some people might already be at like a a, like stronger base of mileage and they can get into it quicker. Um, it depends on your experience with marathons. Um, and then also like what your goals are in the race, I guess, but typically like 12 to 16 weeks is pretty solid. Um, so that's like, you know, like three to four months and, and that gives you plenty of time to have a solid like base building phase and a solid like increase in workout load. And then, um, a few down weeks in there and then a taper the two weeks before, before the race. What does a taper week look like for you? And so you do do a two week taper. Yeah, about, um, and that is, um, my coach describes it as like, I think like it's like 20% less mileage and, but the intensity stays up. So you still do your hard workouts to kind of keep the legs like snappy and fresh. Um, and then, your volume comes down a little bit and you're kind of like extra emphasizing sleep and hydration and all that type of stuff in that amount of time. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think tapers are, tapers are crucial, but it's funny cause there's even, um, some, some people call it a taper tantrum cause you get like, you have all this like built up energy that you're kind of like ready to put somewhere, but you're kind of like, it's like a little, um, I don't know. I've definitely felt that you get a little frustrated cause you just want to like, you have all this, like, you're like so ready to go and do something big, you know, which is cool. It's a cool feeling. <laughs> um, okay. So I do want to get back to the lo- lodged out the retreat. Yes. Yeah. Because that is also something that when I was first trying to reach out to you, I kept seeing come up and it sounded really cool. Yeah. So mm-hmm. you explained it a little bit at the beginning. Um, so it was like an unplugged retreat, kind of focused on. Mm-hmm. Is the focus of on it on running? Is it on health overall? Like, what is? Why did this come to be a thing? Yeah. So um, Bobby Lee is the woman who man who runs Lodged Out. Like that's her business, and she started that um, and runs just unplugged retreats across the U S and those are not specifically running focused or anything. They're just all about kind of like they have workshops and they're in beautiful places and they're very remote. So it's kind of about like unplugging and being present and being in these places. Um, she reached out to me on Instagram, maybe like a year and a half, two years ago to ask, she was like, Hey, would you want to collaborate on a trail running retreat? And that was like, that's like a total dream of mine. I was like, yes, um, that's like definitely something I've thought about doing is retreats down the line. But I was like, oh, maybe that's like a thing like five years down the line or, you know, something I'll get to later. Um, so it was really cool to kind of like have it come 
come to me at maybe a time like this was also when I was planning this retreat while training for Chicago. So getting some of those 80 to 90 mile weeks in while working three part-time jobs. Like I was like, this is not the ideal time to like be adding another thing, but this is something I am so, so wanting to do and so passionate about that it's going to happen. Um, so my specific collaboration with her is a trail running retreat. And we're going to do this as an annual thing now, which is incredible. Um, so that all like came together and we, we picked these workshops and we found we were in this like beautiful location in Washington. And I got to like reach out to some of my running friends and get people to come and like, just get to curate this really, really special event that really was like, really beautiful. And, um, everyone who attended was like in love with what we put together and moved by it. And it went better than like, I could have even hoped for. So that was really special. And I'm like, so stoked Bobby Lee reached out to make that happen and that we're going to keep doing it. How many people ended up being at that? We had about 15, a group of 15, including like me and Bobby Lee and the workshop leaders. Did you specifically cap it at that? Like, did you have overfill spots or? No, um, we were actually shooting for a little more, but um, it ended up being like the perfect size. Um, it was like, it was great. So was everyone there a pretty big runner or were there people there who were just there for the experience? Like what, yeah. what tor- sort of people were showing up to this? Um, it was like a whole group, like, um, one guy is an ultra runner. One guy is doing this like project where he's running a marathon and in every month of 2018, um, some people aren't runners. Some people were hiking while they were there. Um, one lady's a through hiker. Um, so it really was like a what hiker through hiker. So she does like long distance hikes, like the PCT and, Uh, and stuff like that. Um, so it was kind of a full range, which was my goal. Like I wanted it to be open to runners of all abilities, like people who may not have even been on a trail run. Um, if you wanted to hike the trails we were on, you could, if you were injured, you could do that. Um, the workshops weren't even specifically around running. They were more about, um, like creative engagement with the land. So that's kind of what the theme took on as opposed to just running, but that, running is like my means of doing that. And then here are like all these conversations that can come from that idea. Um, So it was really cool to like have running be an emphasis of it, but also not, you know, I didn't want it to be like your typical running retreat where you go and you like learn how to foam roll and you have someone do a talk about racing and you have, you know, those are great, but those just weren't what um, our goal was. And I think, what we came up with was this like good pairing between what lodged out already is what I'm interested in. And then also incorporating trail running. Okay. Got it. Oh, that sounds awesome. (laughs) It was honestly, it was like, it was super special. I'm, I haven't quite done any like write-ups about it yet. Um, cause I think I've still just been kind of like mulling on it all. Um, but it was, it was really something special. Yes. Did you feel like different after doing that, whether because you were more of a leader in it or just being a part of that whole group? Like, did you walk away with like some new insights or thoughts about 
the world or yourself or anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what was cool is that Bobby Lee and I very much were like attendees, not just the people like who put it together. So we were like present in the whole thing. Um, I definitely loved like all the conversations that took place there. Um, and it definitely like, like, right as we were getting started, I was telling Bobby Lee, I'm like, Oh, wow, I didn't realize how much I needed like an unplugged retreat as well. Like, I was so stoked, like putting it together. But then I was like, Oh, I also get to like, attend that. And it came at a time where I just needed like, uh, I don't know, just to be in like a different space with like, be in a different place talk, have like these types of conversations. And it was really, really good. Um, and then one of my other things that I loved about it was we had um the founder of a company called juniper ridge there and juniper ridge is a company kind of based on the west coast that make um like essential oils and incense and stuff all from like forage forage places around here so they have like a cascade forest um perfume that's made simply from like distilling plants um And so the founder came, which I was obsessed with because I'm like, I'm so obsessed with this company. They actually have started selling their stuff at REI and everything now. So it's getting big. But um, he came and took us on this like nature walk where um, we had we were like he had us doing these like breathing exercises to smell the dirt differently and like to smell plants. And he guided us through this whole thing. And then we distilled some plants and had like a spray that we took home that smelled like the place we were at. Um, so that was a really, really cool intimate experience with the land that I had never had before. Like I smelt dirt in a way that I've like never smelt dirt before, you know, Um, (laughs) in a good way. And like the most, beautiful like epic way and it had just rained so we're like out we're like out in the forest and like digging into the dirt and smelling this like sweetness and like these plants and this aliveness that like I don't know I wish I could like describe it better or share it because it was just unlike anything I'd experienced um so thank you to Hall of Juniper Ridge for facilitating that because it was like it was just I was like almost in tears because it was just such a cool experience um, to have with nature. <laughs> um, and then there's like, obviously the whole science behind like soil and plants and tree bathing and all these things that they show, like actually changes our brain, um, to be in nature, but that's like a whole other tangent. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, well, especially when you're out there without a phone and mm-hmm. just totally in the moment, like, yeah. And yeah. Was it, was it always the idea to like be unplugged and, because I think that's probably a huge factor of this. You know, you in your daily life, your phone's likely with you mm-hmm. 99% of the time, if not 100, unless you're like conscious about it and trying yeah. to make sure that you're not getting distracted by the alerts and notifications and checking Instagram. Totally. Which is, um, yeah, sorry, yeah. go ahead. <laughs> yeah, no, I was just going to say with Lodged Out, Bobby Lee's brand, that's like the main main key factor of of all of them is that they are all unplugged and she even finds like camps to host them at that are all remote enough that they don't even have cell phone service so it's like your phone is like not even an option you know (laughs) um so I like love that and it also brings you to beautiful places like we were out um near Leavenworth Washington for this retreat but even like more remote and 
we were just like at the base of these beautiful mountains near this like river on these trails and like we had the first snowfall on the peaks while we were there we had a rainbow we had rain we had sun we had fog we had like just all the elements and we were just like in this beautiful place because it's more remote you know it's just cool that it like they go hand in hand being more remote and being unplugged. (laughs) It's like the perfect, it's, it's ideal really being out there all the time. Yeah. Do you, so when you come back from that, do you try to like set up systems or be, do things in your daily life to kind of be more conscious about having times where you're unplugged or not just like, yeah, just focused on notifications and apps and just trying to be more mindful of what's going on around you. Yeah, that's something I've definitely been trying to balance more, especially when Instagram is, like, part of, like, my brand, I guess, like, me as, like, a person in the, like, social media world and how I've, like, been able to share my story and how I've made all of these connections, like, with She Explores, with Field Magazine, to do this retreat, to talk to you, to, like, do all these things. It's, like, been through Instagram. So it's just, like, okay, this is providing really meaningful stuff in my life. Um, even my first backpacking trip, I contact, like I, it was set up initially through Instagram. Um, and so trying to recognize how that balances with not using it too much. Um, and I think stuff like this retreat, um, stuff like the backpacking trip where you literally like can't use it is good. Um, I think that's even more powerful than, um, like giving your, like saying like, okay, it's Thursday. I'm not going to use Instagram today. Or, you know, it's like, (laughs) it's different when it's not an option. And I try and set up my day to day to have like less, like, I don't know. I, when I'm like out doing things with people, I don't even think to check it. So to try and have more of those types of moments that I don't, I'm not even like thinking about it or don't even have it as an option or, um, doing more stuff like that. Um, and those types of things definitely help me be more mindful of it. Um, I still get caught up on my phone a lot and <laughs> it's like a problem, but, um, at the same time, it's like always good, just good reminders and like cool to get out somewhere where you don't even think about it. Like you don't have to try not to be on it, you know, like try to find more moments like that in life that you don't even like, you're just like living it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's a good point. It's like, make sure you're you set up your schedule in a way so checking your phone is just not even like what well, doesn't even yeah. make sense or just you're exactly. so busy with doing something cool that why would you yeah. want to check Instagram right now? <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, okay, so you said it's the Lodge Out thing. It's an annual, so this one just mm-hmm. happened in October. So is the next one next October? Like is it already planned out? What's the, the deal with that? Yeah, we are – working on the next one at the moment and it's still we haven't had our we don't have our dates or exact location finalized but um we're kind of shooting around like september october again um probably september august or september um for the next one which is super exciting okay do you have any uh locations in mind or ones you're trying to to get locked down (sighs) Yeah, um, it's ranged from like New Mexico to Montana to Alaska to um, like, uh, you know, like really just spots that have like spoken to me in some shape or form in in my life at some point. 
have you been to all those places? I have been to none of those places. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, so those are all like, it's kind of fun. Like even this place we went to in Washington, I had never been to that area. So it's cool to like, um, seek out spots that, um, I've dreamt about going to like New Mexico has really been speaking to me in the last year for some reason. Um, Alaska has been like on my list for like the longest. It's like a place that I've just wanted to go the longest maybe in my life. Um, Montana has always drawn me in some form. Um, I mean, I'd love to get out to Colorado again. I've been there, but like to do spend more time there. There's like so many, so many spots. Yeah. It's that's a thing I think we all take for granted living in the U.S. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, we're not near any other countries really but Canada and Mexico, but mm-hmm. there's so many cool things in the U.S. that mm-hmm. just got to go out and find them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, you said you hadn't done any, um, like, articles or writing on, on this experience, and I've really only seen articles that have, like, been published on other sites. Are you mm-hmm. planning to do anything, like on your own platform or like a personal mm-hmm. blog, like, or I think keep sending them out to other, other companies. Yeah. Um, kind of both. Like I think working on my website has been like this daunting task of like the last few months that just has not gotten anywhere. Um, so that's definitely something I'd love to get up and be more of a like portfolio site. Cause I'd also start to like doing, um, like engagement photo shoots and mammoth and little like stuff like that locally. But then so have galleries for that, but I also have a blog that shares like all of these um, different stories I do, but then also just have like my own platform for it. Um, But then also link to like all of my press and like podcasts like this and, you know, things I'm doing and just kind of have a place for everything. I'm working on that. (laughs) Um, It's hard, but getting that together and so that's ideal. And then, um, while that's still in process, I'm definitely going to do like a write up, um, possibly for field bag, possibly with one of the sponsors and try and like just share a little bit more about it because there's so much, so many beautiful components to it and so many beautiful photos from it. So I'd love to get a little more about it out there. Yeah. I will, uh, keep my eye out for that. Cause I want to see some, some pictures from that. And yeah, and yeah, based on the other articles, I imagine it will be good as well. So look forward to, totally. to reading that. <laughs> Appreciate it. Thank you. Um, all right. So we're coming up kind of on our, on our set time. Uh, so mm-hmm. one or two more questions and then we can uh, wrap up. Sounds um, good. So I'm curious if there's any, like, any big challenges or major setbacks or failures that you've had that have turned out to actually be very helpful for you. Or ones mm-hmm. that you really think like, man, even though it was tough or it kind of sucked, I'm glad it happened. Um, and ones mm-hmm. that maybe many other people wouldn't know about. Yeah. Um, I briefly mentioned getting injured last summer and this injury popped up Liter, I was like doing a build up for a spring half marathon, um, I was in like really great PR shape, feeling awesome, like really strong buildup. Um, and then literally like a week before the race, I um, experienced like the death of a friend and this injury pops up and those were within a few days of each other. And then that was all like 
the week before the race. Um, that So that was like a very intense time. Um, and I couldn't run, so I didn't run for two months, which was like, that's like pretty big for someone who runs almost like twice a day, you know? Um, so it's like a shift of routine. Um, it was like a grief period of the friend, but then also of like, I really, I learned that there are like big moments of grief where when you like lose someone you love. And then there's also, um, like small moments of grief, like grieving this race that I was like talking about for months, you know, or like grieving, um, this experience and grief, you know, there's like minor things that we still have to like let go of in life. Um, so learning like those processes, um, and these things were like, it was like a super hard chunk of time, but then at the same time, this was when I fell in love with walking. Um, and I talked about how profound that ended up being with like the backpacking trip and even still in my life, like that's been, um, really, really powerful. Um, it, it pushed me to do like this, like deeper writing exercises and these reflections that I've, I've carried on. Um, and I like met some people in, in that time of my life that are really, um, really like profound people in my life. So just recognizing that like everything is getting us where we need to go. Um, and that was like a very hard chunk of time, but one of the most profound, you know, it's like we were talking about, um, the hard things are, are usually good for us. Um, so that was definitely one of the like more recent ones. That was definitely a, a challenge. How, how soon in that did you start walking? Cause I imagine going through something that difficult and not having the, the outlet of running that you've mm-hmm. probably depended on for so long. Like, did yeah. you have periods of time where like you just felt like your mind was stuck in like a negative loop and just kind of feeding off that negativity or like, did you start walking right away or like, how did yeah. you kind of get through the more um, difficult days of that? So right after the race that didn't happen, I had planned, um, since I had time off, I planned this trip to Iceland. Um, it was like my first solo international travel and it was for this photo workshop with these, um, photographers I follow online. Um, also something that came about from Instagram, but, um, so I still had that trip planned. So I was like, well, I'm still going to, I'm still going. Like I didn't, it's not like the same like reward after a race, but I still have like time off and I'm not running. And this is like a place I've dreamt about for so long. And I'm, I was so excited to go. Um, and on that trip, we hiked a lot. We like hiked all night to get to these like epic locations. And we, um, you know, it was in the summer. So it was like midnight sun, um, almost like 23 hours of daylight, that type of thing. Um, so we were just up a lot and walking a lot. And that was, um, kind of awesome because it was like an unintentional, like way to be out of my own, like mind and headspace with this injury. And it was, I was grateful I could walk still, you know, it wasn't, I am, it was like a hip issue, that I couldn't, like I ran and I would have pain, but I could walk and feel totally great. Um, so I was really grateful I was still able to do that and be on these hikes. Um, so that was definitely, I think what like really spurred it on. I definitely like still had moments of, um, days that were like hard and I was like, well, what do I do? And like, I, you know, it's a whole change of routine. But when I was like back, back home, um, 
And then I also, in that chunk of time, had a family vacation to Australia. And so it was kind of awesome to have these things that were very much outside of my routine anyways. Um, I think that was like really helpful. And in Australia, we walked a lot. So um, I think having those two trips showed me just like that it feel like it's just like I like learned that pace differently um, without even comparing it to running, which I think was a crucial component. Um, so then I came back. It was like not soon, not long after the Australia trip that I was like back in Mammoth and kind of like hiking a bit more and then went on that backpacking trip and all those things kind of came together. Jeez, what a man, that's tough. But. Yeah, totally tough. But like, I don't, you know, lessons, always lessons and um, stronger for it. Like I came back that this last January and PR'd in the half marathon by five minutes. Whoa. And yeah, so I think it's a good reminder that sometimes your body just needs to rest. You know, that comes back to like, I think my, maybe like just my whole nervous system even needed to calm down and not run. Um, So, you know, just recognizing that like, Sometimes longer rest can actually be like more powerful for our body and we can come back stronger. That was a really cool lesson too. Do you have periods of rest then when you're out there, like during the different seasons? Cause you know, you said right now you've got a big snowstorm coming in. Yeah. Are, like, are um, you going to be able to go out and run tonight or tomorrow? Like how do the seasons kind of change your training and just your overall mindset? Yeah, I love the seasons. I grew up in Southern California and didn't really have them. And I like came up here and I like love the fall colors. I love the seasons. And I've actually written a lot about like how our bodies, like how at least I connect with like the seasons of the earth. Um, And we still train. Um, I just had some time off in October after Chicago. So that was like kind of my rest. And now I'm building up again. Um, like, like you said, though, with the, with the snow, that makes it a little more difficult. Um, but luckily in Mammoth, we live um, 40 minutes away from a town called Bishop, which is just south of us. And it's also like 5,000 feet lower in elevation. So they get significantly less snow and it's only like a 30, 40 minute drive. Um, so um, that's also we're having like a coach and a team van is really great because we'll drive down a lot for practice. Um, and then second runs will either be like, um, on a treadmill or even just like 20, 15 minutes outside of town is a little lower and more in the, um, high desert. So while that still gets snow, sometimes it's, um, like more runnable than what town has. So it's just kind of fun to like, you know, you like are at the mercy of nature a little bit like today. Um, we just had an easy run, but my coach said we weren't going to drive down because it was too windy on the highway. So he just said, like, run on your own this morning, like on the treadmill or outside or wherever you feel like going. So some people drove down on their own. Um, some people went on the treadmill. So it's just kind of cool, like um, a reminder that like nature is like all all controlling in a way. And, um, you know, we still like can do what we can do. And it's like it's good synergy. Do you have time to explain like one or two examples of kind of how the seasons and the connection you have with that? Yeah. Um, I think it's like, like this summer, um, was awesome because I, I was like working a lot and I had all these double runs and I, 
Um, but we have like so much daylight. So um, there's just like different energy to the summer of like doing more. I feel like so I was doing these big trail runs and just like, um, just like was outside all the time with the summer, it felt like. And then um, as the fall comes, I love like the, sh- I think there's just so much energy when the seasons are shifting and like, you just see things like happen more dramatically. Like when the trees are shifting, it's like, that's like what's always like things are always changing that much, but you just don't always see it all the time. And I feel like that's kind of what's happening in our bodies. Like um, there's always things shifting, but it's always pretty like gradual until we have like big moments of like bigger shift that we notice. Um, And I think being in connection with the seasons just makes a lot of sense because there's kind of the natural like ebb and flow in the year, like, like getting into winter now we're like inside a little more and, um, things like just naturally slow down. Like you can't like rush anywhere in the winter, you know, you just have to like drive slow and you just notice things differently. And I just love the shit, the like, there's a different like calmness that comes with that. Um, and yeah, I don't know. It's a cool, it's just cool to reflect on how our bodies also need the period of like rest and growth. Um, you know, just like when spring comes and, and there's like this like, like refreshing like the the wildfires are coming up in the summer and there's kind of this like blooming feeling of like okay I can like go out and like do these things and sometimes you just need to come back and like settle in and um it's cool when it can line up with the with the year like the seasons yeah that's deep (laughs) (laughs) but that's I like I've never heard it actually put into words but like I felt that, you know, right. You feel it. If you're in the seasons, you kind of like, and you're in tune with your body. I think you just like connect to the earth on a deeper level and you can see it in the, in the shifts that are happening around us. Yeah. Well, thank you for putting that into a words that made sense actually. (laughs) Yeah. That's awesome. Other people Mm -hmm. have tried to explain that before. Um, Mm -hmm. okay. Uh, final question. And then, uh, Mm -hmm can wrap up. Um, is there any advice you've received throughout your running career or just kind of life in general that has really stuck with you and you'd like to pass forward? Yeah. Um, something that, um, Dina Castor, uh, one of my teammates talked about when I first moved up here that she's done for a long time, um, is making gratitude lists, um, almost daily. And that's something that I think is, um, just so powerful for the mind because um, it makes you reflect on just things that you enjoy that are around you. And then it also allows you to like seek those things out. And then it's just a like beautiful cycle of like appreciation. Um, so I recommend gratitude lists. I think those are um, a really great practice. And then something else I was, I was listening to a podcast and I'm going to like steal someone else's recommendation that really stuck with me. Um, but they mentioned like, it was like, they were talking about, um, I listened to a lot of nutrition and health podcasts and they were talking about like ways to like 
live a more fulfilling life. And one of the guys asked like, what's the recommendation you have to do that? And someone said, don't take yourself too seriously. (laughs) And, and I think I like, maybe I just like really needed to hear it on that day or something. Or like lately I've just been like more intense in my mind, which I think there's definitely value to that and being serious when you need to be, but it was a good reminder to just like, um, I don't know, have more fun with things, I guess. And, um, yeah, just like not take yourself too seriously sometimes. <laughs> Got to get a little goofy. Yeah, and sure. just like know that 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 like everything's fine. You know, it's like things are good. Life is good. Yeah, awesome. Um, is there anything that I haven't asked or we haven't discussed that you want to bring up real quick or talk about? Um, I'm like pretty stoked on everything we got to. <laughs> you know, yeah. Awesome. Good. Yeah. Um, okay, and so. What is the best place for people to reach out if they have a question or if they just want to learn more about you or follow your story more? Yeah, definitely Instagram. Uh, my Instagram is just at Sarah Atar, S-A-R-A-H-A-T-T-A-R. Um, I'm also on Twitter as the Sarah Atar. Um, I'm on there less, and but I like I'm always checking my like Instagram DMs and like you can also email me through my website through my Instagram. So, um, that's definitely like the best way to, to reach out. Terrific. And I will link all those in the show notes. If, uh, awesome. If you need to check them. Cool. Well, uh, I think, think we've covered a good amount today. Yeah. yeah this has been so terrific. Much. And yeah, awesome. thank you so much for coming on here. And, totally. uh, Super fun. yeah. And thank you. Thanks everyone. for having me. Yeah. Thank you everyone else for listening. And uh, make sure to go follow Sarah and check out some of her work. (laughs) And until next time. Hey, everyone. We here again real quick with the question of the episode, which is, what activity gives you a sense of connection to something greater than yourself? This can be an exercise such as running in Sarah's case, or a hobby, a habit, or work, or something else. Head to edgeofcomfort.com forward slash EOCP19, that's the numbers 1-9, and leave your answer or story in the comments section at the bottom of the post. Thank you for listening, and I look forward to reading your answers. Cheers! Cheers!